thank you to the activists for showing up and shutting that down. Speaking of activists sh- uh, showing up and shutting shit down, Harvard College Business Group cancels sponsorship with ICE contractor Palantir after backlash. This is from the Harvard Crimson. I very rarely read pieces from the Harvard Crimson. However, here we go. This was posted 18 hours ago by Shira S. Aviona and Delano R. Franklin, Crimson staff writers. The Harvard undergraduate BGLTQ Business Society canceled a sponsorship with software firm Palantir Technologies last week after facing student backlash over the company's contract with Immigration and Customs Enforcement. Hubs publicized a sponsorship with Palantir, which included an ethical decision-making exercise slated for October 10th over their email list October 3rd. The next day, the organization announced they had canceled the event. Palantir has faced criticism from both immigration advocacy groups and its own employees for its work with ICE in recent months. The firm supplies ICE with an intelligence gathering system that critics allege enables agents to deport increased numbers of undocumented immigrants. Hours after its initial email, Hub sent a follow-up message stating that several students had voiced concerns. At first, the organization announced it would donate any funds gained through the partnership to an immigration-related charity. That evening and the next day, students criticized Hubs over the the Queer Students and Allies organization email list. The Hubs board then responded over the QSA list, saying they had changed their minds and decided to cancel the partnership entirely. When a member brought up Palantir's relationship with ICE, we had initially thought we could allow them to come to campus and then donate the proceeds to an undocumented charity. But we recognize now that bringing Palantir to campus is harmful no matter where proceeds go, and that it is unfair to students and antithetical to the diverse communities at Harvard, they wrote over the email list. It was a mistake from the beginning, and honestly, board was deeply divided about whether to proceed with this sponsorship altogether, even as of last night, they added. Hubs's board wrote in an email statement to the Crimson that they regret the partnership with Palantir. We actually canceled the event, and Hubs will no longer be hosting it or working with Palantir as a sponsor until their work with ICE changes. We sincerely apologize to anyone who was hurt by the prospect of this event, and we hope our actions remedied the situation. The statement reads, and you can go on and read a little bit more. So, uh, one more Quote here, uh, QSA is proud to stand with undocumented immigrants, Kim wrote, and that's the QSA co-chair Angela E. Kim from class of 2021. We appreciate that Hubs listened to community feedback and decided not to partner with Palantir for this event. In light of this, we encourage students and organizations to be actively aware of the companies they choose to work with and support. College students across the country have taken issue with Palantir's undergraduate outreach efforts in recent months. Palantir tried to host a similar ethics tabletop exercise at Duke last month, where it was met with student protests. A petition calling on students to refuse jobs, job offers from Palantir has garnered more than 2,000 signatures from students attending schools, including Harvard, Stanford, and Yale. Whew. So again, this article is found at the thecrimson.com. And it came out 18 hours ago, which would be early on the 8th or late on October 7th. Okay, we're going to keep pushing along. Oh, my goodness. 700-plus arrested as Extinction Rebellion protests demand climate action. There's also been protests happening around the world, and I mentioned that a little bit last Friday. And uh, there hasn't been as much news coverage of it, but I wanted to share that now, at least in case we don't get to it this week. 
Uh, more than 700 activists from Sydney to New York City have been arrested in coordinated climate protests across the globe as activists with Extinction Rebellion shut down streets and occupied public landmarks to demand action on the climate crisis. Nearly 300 were arrested in London after taking over 11 sites in the Westminster area. In New York City, nearly 90 activists were arrested after staging a die-in on Wall Street, pouring fake blood on the iconic bull statue outside the New York Stock Exchange. Dozens were also arrested in Amsterdam, Vienna, and Madrid. In Brisbane, Australia, an activist hung from a story bridge in a hammock for six hours. Activists also took to the streets in Chile, Colombia, and Mexico. And we'll have more on Extinction Rebellion's ongoing protests after headlines. That's the that's from Democracy Now. Uh, and so you can check that out, democracynow.org, um, from October 8th. There's also... <sighs> lots lots more happening we're gonna go back to playing some music and we'll be back uh, after this
I'm thinking like if I was the And welcome back to the weekly review. I was gonna do a try to do a smooth transition there, the last song on the album, going into Clip from Democracy Now. I'm getting a bit tired. I think I already am tired. But I did want to share this uh, about the strike that's still going on um, from UAW at Democracy. Democracy Now. So, let's see here. Are we right? I saw the Saw movie. And uh, let's see if we can play it. With Juan Gonzalez. About 48,000 workers at General Motors have entered their fourth week on strike. It's the longest national walkout at GM by the United Auto Workers in nearly 50 years. Workers are seeking higher pay, protection of their health care benefits, greater job security, and a commitment from GM to build more cars and parts in the United States. This is Steve Gorowski, a striking GM worker in Bowling Green, Kentucky. We've got a company that had $35 billion in profits in the last few years. We've got temporaries that have been here over seven years and are still temporaries, and they're asking for more temporaries. They're moving our plants out of country. They're taking them to Mexico and to China. And now they're asking for concessions on our uh, health care. I don't know about you, but I, that's the only reason I took this job. I used to have my own drywall company. I took it for the benefits. On Sunday, UAW officials announced they'd rejected the company's latest offer saying negotiations had, quote, taken a turn for the worse. In a letter to union members, UAW Vice President Terry Dedis wrote, quote, The company's response did nothing to advance a whole host of issues that are important to you and your families. It did nothing to provide job security during the term of the agreement. We're joined now by Steve Frisk, striking GM worker, former president of UAW Local 744. He's currently a union steward, joining us from a studio in Minneapolis. Welcome to Democracy Now!, Steve Frisk. Talk about the demands of the union. I mean, this is historic. It is the longest strike in nearly, what, half a century against GM. That is correct. Uh, just, just to clarify that, I'm from Local 722, um, but that's okay, no problem. Um, our, our biggest issues, obviously, uh, you, you heard the gentleman there from Bowling Green touch on some of it. Um, moving work out of the country, um, the temporary workers, uh, those are our two biggest issues right now, and also health care, which has become an issue since we went out on strike. Um, 10 years, 11 years ago, this uh, General Motors was going out of business. And they were saved by, by two in, uh, groups of people, their employees, and uh, even more so the taxpayer of this country. Um, if it wasn't for them, they would have been gone. Um, we reopened our contract voluntarily and uh, gave up a lot of stuff, cost of living increases. We took over retirees' health care and benefits. Uh, that was an obligation of General Motors, and the UAW took that over to uh, alleviate and hopefully bring them back from the brink of bankruptcy. Um, so be we move forward 10 years, and they've made record profits for the last three years of uh, just over $35 million. Um, and they have never given any of those things back to us that we voluntarily gave up. Not only that, but they want to take more away now. 
Um, they're moving uh, the work, like I said, out of the country, which should really irritate the taxpayer of this country who bailed them out with the idea that we're going to keep work here in the United States and have people work here and become productive members of society, and now we're moving it out of the country. Uh, obviously, the, the, earlier the gentleman said uh, from Bowling Green, Mexico and China, those are the two biggest ones. In fact, China has more uh, General Motors employees now than does the United States. Um, this is our, our biggest issue, and, and, and then the real top issue is temporary employees and how they use them, uh, and uh, there's no path for them to come to full-time employment. Um, some of these assembly plants have had temporary employees on their, on their roles, like that gentleman said, for almost seven years. Um, they make just over half of what uh, legacy employees of, of UAWGM make. Um, they have very few benefits. No vacation time off unless it's pre-approved. They have three unpaid vacation days a year, and they have to be pre-approved. So life happens, children get sick, weather, flat tires. Uh, these things happen in life, and, and these people live on pins and needles every day just hoping something doesn't go wrong. Because if they, they can be dismissed for any two minor shop rule violations, they can be dismissed, which well, means being late or anything else. So it, it, it's, it's not right when this country's making record profits to treat their employees who bailed them out and saved them the way they're treating their employees today. Uh, Steve Frisk, uh, over the weekend, there were some indications that there was progress in the talks, at least on issues like wages, uh, but that uh, apparently one of the big sticking points has been this issue of whether GM will bring back some jobs from Mexico to the U.S. Could you talk a little more about uh, the impact of the GM production in Mexico? Because we often hear President Trump talking about how Mexico and China are stealing our jobs, but it's really the multinational U.S. companies. Companies that are making decisions to go into places like China uh, and Mexico uh, for greater profits. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, it's cheaper labor. I mean, that's 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 the bottom line here. Uh, an auto worker in Mexico makes just under three dollars an hour, um, and they're not unionized. Uh, they're not allowed to basically by its government control unions, and it's uh, they really don't have a say in anything. Um, the biggest issue is, you know, I've had people say to me, "Why, you know, well, they're they're working for a lot cheaper." And I, my argument always is, "Are the vehicles any cheaper that are coming from Mexico?" They're not. It's just the profits are going up to the top. Uh, the, they're not working with their employees, uh, obviously. If you look at Ford, Ford has an actually a, a pretty good relationship with the UAW. Um, in fact, the CEO came out a few years ago and said if it wasn't for the UAW, Ford would have been bankrupt. They sacrificed and saved us in our darkest hour. Uh, we did the same for General Motors, but obviously uh, they don't seem to understand that or they just don't seem to think that that's, uh, they have to work with their employees anymore. And, and, and it's very upsetting. Um, these jobs were saved to keep them in this country, and now we're moving them out. Uh, the last uh, study that was done, uh, Chrysler has 92 percent utilization in this country of their facilities. Um, Ford had 82, and General Motors was right about 70, and I've heard that's actually gone down even more now in this last year. Um, so you look at the plants that are closing in Lordstown, Ohio, Detroit Hamtramck. We have a couple transmission plants, uh, one in Baltimore and a few other in, uh, in Michigan. And these people are out of work. Or they have to, if they have enough seniority, they have to transfer. Um, 
And that's, people don't realize what it does to families. Um, I'm one of those people that worked in an assembly plant. I worked at Janesville Assembly in Janesville, Wisconsin, and that plant closed down at the end of 2008. Um, I had to move to where I am now, Hudson, Hudson, which I was lucky because I'm not too far from home, uh, a little over four hours, but I had to leave my wife and kids down there for almost six years because we couldn't sell our house because the whole economy in that area just, just went under. Um, it causes a lot of damage to families, a lot of divorces, uh, fathers and mothers not seeing their kids. Um, and they don't seem to understand that or they don't really seem to care. Um, it, like you said on Saturday, it sounded like we were going to uh, have a tentative agreement. It, it sounded really good. And then it went south overnight. Um, so. We're waiting, I guess GM came out with a secret proposal last night to the UAW. Uh, we do not know what the contents of that is yet. Um, so we're gonna wait and see what our leadership says and uh, hopefully we're making progress forward again instead of taking two steps back like we did this weekend, so. Let me ask you, in terms of the uh, of the, uh, the leverage that the United Auto Workers have, given the corporate America's uh, 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 move to go to just-in-time production, uh, when do you figure will be the time when General Motors will be forced to shut down its entire uh, chain of operations as a result of the fact that it can't get these cars uh, produced by you here in the United States? Well, it, we're already seeing some uh, some fallout down. Uh, they closed the Silo Mexico uh, plant, which makes the Silverado and uh, the Sierra. So that has been closed because of the lack of parts. And now I heard uh, their other major uh, facility down there has uh, had some shutdowns too. So it's starting to have a trickle-down effect. I, I, I guess it's coming to a point where GM's got to make a decision on, is it worth keep losing the money that we're losing on a daily basis? Are we going to come out ahead or behind on this? Um, I, I, I really don't believe that they, I think they misunderstood our resolve when we went out. I think they thought we could break us within the first two two to three weeks. Um, what, what this has really done is, is what I've seen in my, my local facility is it's actually strengthened the resolve. People are mad. People are mad and they're willing to stay out as long as it takes because, uh, you know, we believe in what we're doing. We believe that in this country, the wealth keeps flowing up to the 1% and keeps going less and less to the 99 below. And we're going to have two uh, classes of, of people in this country pretty soon, the extremely wealthy and, and the poor. And uh, we decided that we had to draw a line in the sand and say enough's enough. Um, the silver lining in this situation is the support that we have received from our brothers and sisters of other unions, uh, Teamsters, SEIU, uh, uh, the teachers, uh, the, the bakers union. I'm, I'm talking about everybody, the steel workers. Um, they have come out in mass, not just to our facility, but to every facility in this country and helped out. They've walked the picket line with us. They brought food. Uh, they brought gift cards for some of our temporary employees that are struggling a little more and uh, it's just been the outpouring of solidarity has has really been an eye-opener and it's a, a welcome a welcome thing because uh, unions have been struggling for many years in this country and it's nice to see that it's making a comeback and people are, are tired of the status quo well Steve Frisk want to thank you so much for being with us striking GM worker former president of UAW local 722 currently a union steward
When we come back, we'll go to Chicago to speak with the head of the Chicago Teachers Union, which has voted to go on strike next week. Stay with us.
Welcome back to Leak the Review Tuesday edition. Oh, goodness. I'm going to share a few news headlines and then get back into some more pre-recorded interviews. This is from Frontline and PBS 
go to pbs.org. Uh, Trump administration shifting to privatize migrant child detention. And this came out on October 3rd, 2019 by Garance Burke from the AP and Martha Mendoza, also from the AP. And the story is part of an ongoing joint investigation between the Associated Press and Frontline on the treatment of migrant children, which includes an upcoming film. And please do check out this article. And uh, there's a bit of a, a video here. best that the children are borrowed they're borrowed for for our purpose right so a lot of times when something is borrowed you take care of them better than you would something that is your own so we want the children to leave here and say that they had a great experience and it says uh, AP and Frontline were given exclusive access to a shelter in Texas holding some of the youngest migrant children this is about uh, almost a four-minute video that they have shared with this article as well as a lot of script and it says the shelter is run by Comprehensive Health Services, a private for-profit company paid for by the U.S. government. In joint investigation, AP and Frontline learned that the Trump administration has started shifting caretaking of migrant children toward the private sector. There is a profit, there is a, a price incentive, but it's not a detention incentive. The, the question about is there incentive to, to detain children, absolutely not. CHS is owned by Caliburn International Corp and is so far the only private company caring for children. Ugh, I cannot hear his fucking voice and I will not Burden you with that as well. Former White House Chief of Staff John Kelly joined Caliburn's board after leaving the Trump administration. Shocking. Uh, as Homeland, as excuse me, as Secretary of Homeland Security Kelly, who was the person we played earlier, who was interrupted, thankfully, supported a policy to separate children from their parents. And I'm going to saying it would deter people from migrating to the U.S. And I'm muting it so we don't have to hear Mike Pence's stupid voice. Then there's a cop talking. I also don't want to fucking hear from him. One privilege to running a show. You get to silence people in positions of power who cause great harm. If only it were this easy in other areas of life. Well, let's go back. One of these companies. That doesn't pass us. Ugh. Okay, and they have more footage as well. Uh, Kelly was criticized after he was seen at Homestead, a large CHS-operated facility for migrant teens in Florida. At its peak, Homestead held about 2,400 children. All have now been transferred to other facilities or reunited with their families. One teenage girl who spoke with AP and Frontline said she and other children were constantly watched while held inside Homestead with alarms on the windows. And says it, it seemed pretty, I mean, it's pretty there, but at the same time it wasn't because there were so many kids, so many rules, and every day was the same routine. And this kid says that she felt so alone and says, well, it was kind of like camp, but it was also like prison.
because I felt trapped. I felt frustrated and desperate. This is one of the writers of the article, Garen Spurk. How does that sit with you morally? It's not something that, that sits with me um, morally as, as a problem, provided they meet the same. You know. Ugh. And again, it's so bizarre to me how people can wrap their minds around being parts of these companies that hold kidnapped children. They have more video footage. And let's see. They're talking to a former DHS immigration official. And there's more information at the story. Again, if you go to pbs.org and you can find much more info on this there. Ugh. Also, activists are pressuring lawmakers to stop Amazon Ring's police surveillance partnership. And that's an article at Vox.com. With no oversight and accountability, Amazon's technology creates a seamless and easily automated experience for police to request and access footage without a warrant and then store it indefinitely. That sounds terrifying. And this was written by Ronnie. That's R-A-N-I Mola, M-O-L-L-A. And you can follow Ronnie on Twitter and also find this article at Vox.com. Starts off with more than 30 civil rights organizations, including Races, Media Justice, and the National Immigration Law Center, published a joint letter Tuesday asking lawmakers to end police partnerships with Amazon's ring. And you can find more information. Again, feeling pretty exhausted. I'm going to go now to... An interview that was on Democracy Now! That's about the case that was heard this morning um, from the SCOTUS case, and it's an interview with Laverne Cox and Chase Strangio. And you can find it again at democracynow.org. A new term today in Washington, D.C. The court will be hearing major cases this year involving reproductive rights, immigration, the Second Amendment, and LGBTQ rights. On Tuesday, the court will hear arguments in three cases to determine whether LGBTQ people can be fired from their jobs due to their sexual orientation or gender identity. It's been described as, quote, the most important case directly addressing LGBTQ people ever to reach the United States Supreme Court. Under Title VII of the Civil Rights Act, employers cannot discriminate against employees on the basis of sex, as well as race, color, national origin and religion. But the Trump administration claims the law does not cover discrimination based on sexual orientation and gender identity. One of the cases centers on a transgender woman from Michigan named Amy Stevens, who was fired from her job at a funeral home in 2013. When I was fired, it made me mad, to say the least. I was hurt that I was being treated that way after the commitment and service that I had been providing. Um, and that's when it finally hit home that we weren't treated the same as everybody else. And 
that it was time that somebody stood up and said enough is enough. The cases mark the first time the Supreme Court will rule on LGBTQ rights since conservative justice Brett Kavanaugh replaced Anthony Kennedy, who had written many of the court's major LGBTQ rights rulings. We are joined right now by two guests. Laverne Cox is with us, award-winning transgender actress, longtime trans rights activist, best known for her role of Sophia Brissett on the show Orange is the New Black. In 2014, she became the first transgender person on the cover of Time magazine, and the first openly transgender person to be nominated for a primetime Emmy Award in an acting category. We're also joined by Chase Strangio, deputy director for transgender justice with the ACLU's LGBT and HIV project. His work includes impact litigation, as well as legislative and administrative advocacy on behalf of LGBTQ people and people living with HIV across the United States. We welcome you both to Democracy Now! It's great to have you with us. Tuesday is a very significant day in the Supreme Court. Laverne Cox, talk about the cases that are before the high court. Well, it's the first time the Supreme Court will hear any case involving transgender rights, transgender civil rights, with Amy Stevens' case. And there's two other cases of, um, where two gay men were also fired from their jobs simply for being who they are. Um, this is the first time the court will hear um, case, um, cases about whether or not Title VII applies to the LGBTQ plus community. This has huge ramifications for us, because we know that this administration has been trying to take transgender people specifically, but the LGBTQ community in general, um, out of the realm of protections. Um, the leaked memo that we all remember from a year ago, um, where they want to change the definition of sex so that trans folks wouldn't have any recourse under the law, the protests that ensued after that. The um, new directive from HHS and from HUD, where they want to discriminate against us in housing and in health care. Um, so this is really huge, not just for the LGBTQ plus community, but for also any worker who might not conform to someone else's idea of how they should express their gender. Mm. So you did something very unusual at the Emmys. Uh, your guest, uh, your plus one, uh, was one Chase Strangio. Yes. And I wanted to go to, well, describe um, uh, the scene and why you decided to do this. Well, I, I noticed that not a lot of people were talking about this case. I think it's the most consequential civil rights case for LGBTQ rights in my lifetime. No one was really talking about it except Chase and a few other people. And I thought, what can I do? And so I was nominated for my third Emmy this year and was going to be going to the Emmys. And I knew that would be a platform where a lot of people would be paying attention. And so I, um, I was like, well, we should take Chase and we should talk about this case on the red carpet. My stylist got the idea of making a clutch that said <laughs> Title VII, October 8th, Supreme Court. Um, Edie Parker designed it. And we went and we went with the mission. And we're showing the images of that. Let's hear Chase on the red carpet with Laverne Cox. October 8th, everyone should be aware that the administration is asking the Supreme Court to make it legal to fire workers just because they're LGBTQ. And this is actually going to transform the lives of LGBTQ people and people who are not LGBTQ, anyone who departs from sex stereotypes, like all the fabulous people here, for example. So we really need to show up October 8th and pay attention because our lives are really on the line. 
So that's Chase Strangio of the ACLU, the um, plus one with Laverne Cox at the Emmys. Again, as I said earlier, uh, Laverne is the first openly trans actress to be nominated for a primetime Emmy in any acting category. Um, so you use that moment um, uh, where the world was watching. That was an interview on E! Chase. Describe further the significance of this case and the Trump administration's stance. How has it changed? Yeah, so, so, you know, as Laverne said, tomorrow the Supreme Court is going to be hearing arguments in these three cases that will absolutely transform the legal landscape for LGBTQ people, um, and not just LGBTQ people, but all women in particular, but anyone who, who departs from, from sex stereotypes. And, and what is really astounding, particularly in Amy Stevens' case, is that the case was filed uh, in 2014 by the EEOC, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. That is the agency that enforces Title VII. And that agency brought the case, arguing that when Amy was fired, it violated Title VII. And so the case is actually the EEOC versus Harris Funeral Homes, the employer that fired Amy just because she, she is transgender. And so it went up through the courts um, in that posture. After the election, the presidential election of 2016, the ACLU intervened on behalf of Amy because we were concerned that uh, that the agency and the administration would no longer defend the rights of trans people under federal law, and, and for good reason, because now we are before the Supreme Court and the Trump administration has changed sides. The United States is siding with the employers, urging the Supreme Court to make a rule for everyone that it is lawful to fire someone just because they, they are LGBTQ. And I want people to understand that the arguments they are advancing are so incredibly, uh, like, staggeringly conservative and dangerous, because what they are saying is that we want a world under Title VII that goes all the way back to at least pre-1989 in the landmark case of Price Waterhouse, that allows employers to enforce sex stereotypes as long as they do so against men and women. And so what I mean by that is the Trump administration and the Alliance Defending Freedom, who is representing Amy's employer, really do want a world where a woman could be fired for not being feminine enough as long as they they would fire a man for not being masculine enough. So imagine you go to work and you're a father, and you say, I need to leave at five to care for my kids. And they fire you because they say, no, men are supposed to be working and women are supposed to be the primary caretakers of children. That is the world they want. And so this is really a radical transformation of sex discrimination law that they're asking for. Hmm. I want to go back to Amy Stevens, the woman behind the first transgender civil rights case to go before the Supreme Court. Speaking at an ACLU news conference last week, she explained her decision to come out as a transgender. Woman. I've been living basically two lives, one at home and in public, and one at work. And in the beginning, that wasn't so bad. But as time goes on and as time progressed, I got to the point that living two lives, being two people, was becoming downright impossible. And I knew that I couldn't keep going that way. And things came to a head in November of 2012 when I stood in the backyard with a gun to my chest, pondering the question, if I can't go forward, and I can't go backwards, where does that lead me? And if 
this is all I have to look forward to, then what's the point of continuing? And in that hour, going over that and over that in my mind, I chose life. And I realized that I liked me too much to just disappear and go away. So that's Amy Stevens, the woman behind the first transgender civil rights case to go before the Supreme Court. Um, talk about the journey Amy Stevens' case took through the courts until now. So, so Amy Stevens' case was filed in federal court. Um, she won in, in the lower court, so the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals ruled in her favor, as the majority of federal courts have for trans litigants. Um, it has actually been the law, you know, for two decades in many uh, circuits of, of the of the federal judiciary that firing someone or discriminating against someone because they are transgender is per se sex discrimination under the law, as well as a prohibition on the, uh, as well as a violation of the on sex stereotypes. So Amy won below. Um, this was, you know, the, the court said, no, you, you cannot fire someone just because they are transgender. Um, and then it was the employer and the United States that are now before the Supreme Court arguing for a rule that it is, in fact, lawful to fire someone um, for being transgender, and, and, we, and we represent Amy. I think something that's incredibly poignant about Amy's remarks and that the, the letter she sent her employer is, is that she was going to be the same person, the same valued employee, and she was living this deeply painful lie, and she needed to be who she was. We only get one chance to, to live our lives as who we are. And so she was going to be an even better worker, because she wasn't going to have to hide this core truth of herself. And she has the courage, she comes out, and then she gets fired, and has spent the last six years fighting the termination while she faces no job, lost her health care, you know, her health go, you know, is in decline because this is what happens when you lose your livelihood. And so hopefully we can appeal to the court on the simple proposition that Congress wrote a broad law that prohibits sex discrimination and it covers trans people as most lower courts have held. We're going to break and then come back to talk about the issue of violence against trans people and how you think that this links. Uh, we are speaking with Chase Strangio, Deputy Director for Transgender Justice. Um, with the ACLU's LBGT and HIV project, and actress Laverne Cox. Stay with us. Shia Diamond. This is Democracy Now!, Democracy Now!. All right. And welcome back to Weekly Review. Going to wrap up the show right now. Thanks so much for listening. I recognize it's been super low energy. However, there's a lot of information out there. Hopefully, we all can take some stuff away from this. also want to promote an event that's happening on October 18th. And this is 
uh, to close the 850 Bryant jail. So there's an event invite on Facebook. Join the effort to close 850 Bryant and build a better San Francisco. Come to the hearing on Friday, October 18th at 10.30 a.m. to hold our government accountable. Hashtag dismantle PIC. Hashtag shut down 850 Bryant. This was tweeted by the Coalition on Homelessness. You can follow them on Twitter at the Coalition SF. You can also follow me on Twitter. I share a lot of these this information that I don't always get to on the show. At R-O-M-A-N-R-I-M-E-R. And plug for the station mutinyradio.fm we got shows here every day of the week so please donate and check out shows that are here and also think that yeah there's something else but we're gonna just wrap up with some more music thanks so much for tuning in we'll be back with another pre-recorded show next week have a great week everybody
Claw Tigers. We fight for motorcyclists. We're not just motorcycle lawyers. We're part of the riding community. Claw Tigers watches over riders. If you're injured in a motorcycle accident, we'll help you get your motorcycle repaired or replaced and assist you with your damaged gear, too. We're by your side every step of the way. With the Law Tigers, you never ride alone. If you're injured in a motorcycle accident, call 1-800-LAW-TIGERS or visit us on the web at lawtigers.com. The Law Tigers, California's motorcycle lawyer. Victor Terrace, Harris Law Firm, LLP, 180 Permanent Circle, Suite 300, Sacramento, California, 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on MutinyRadio.fm for the Let's Watch a Full-Length Movie on YouTube. We watch the best movies that, uh, aren't they good? Well, they're chosen uh, Here's you. his theme song again. Bye. Okay, bye. Watch a full-length movie on YouTube with Michael Spiegelman. Uh, 
apply now for the Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival 2020 coming up March 1st through 7th, 2020. But you can apply now through November 30th. 50 shows in seven days, over 50 comics from all around the U.S., and you could be one of them. Go to the Mutiny Radio website, www.mutinyradio.fm. Click the Apply button. Pay that 20 bucks. Donate to Mutiny Radio and apply with your five-minute video to the Mutiny Radio 5th Annual Comedy Festival coming up March 1st through 7th, 2020. Submissions close November 30th. Get those submissions in now. Billy Bob, you ever want to be funny? Well, my dogs think I'm funny, Daryl. Well, I mean, you ever want to be like in front of an audience, like other than like squirrels, dogs, and dead persons? Oh, shoot. From time to time, I've been giving it a thought of two. You know, if you go to joke workshop, there's more than two peoples paying attention to your jokes, and they ain't even gonna be jerks about it. Daryl, are you serious? I can get people to listen to my jokes? And they'll even say nice things to you before they tell you how to get improvements. No way. What is this dang nabbit thing called? It's Joke Workshop. Joke Workshop? Yep, every Monday, 6 to 8 p.m. on the Mutant Radius. So you're saying I could tell my jokes every Monday from 6 to 8? That's what I'm saying. It's the Joke Workshop Mondays, 6 to 8 p.m. at the Mutant Radius. Yahoo! Hungry for a burger? Mutiny Radio thinks you'll find the best burger in San Francisco at Counter Offer, located inside Bender's Bar and Grill. Counter Offer's menu aims to please your drunk face. Tater tots are served daily. On Tuesday nights, Counter Offer serves specials off the Taco Bell menu, only better. You can enjoy your favorite Taco Bell item without the guilt. Counter Offer uses only fresh ingredients and never store-bought shit. Special ingredients are made from scratch daily, including beans, ketchup, mustard, habanero sauce, and ranch dressing. Counter Offer even serves vegan mac and cheese. All of this great food is served 2 p.m. to 10 p.m. daily and until 11 p.m. on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Counter Offer is located inside Bender's Bar and Grill at 806 South Venice. Be sure to tell them Mutiny sent you. Counter Offer, baby. Are you tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of MutinyRadio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ-friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. MutinyRadio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit-face McRat. <laughs> so 
subliminal SF visual and auditory mind control brings you the best, coolest t-shirt and hoodie designs and mind-bending local bands and shows at venues all over San Francisco and the Bay Area. Subliminal SF is here to destroy your sense of normalcy and plant ideas in your skull to make you cooler and a more awesome person. Check out all the badass products at subliminalsf.myshopify.com. That's subliminalsf.myshopify.com. And experience Subliminal SF. in San Francisco comedy scene. Maybe you want time to do jokes. Well, this is the place to do it. Mutiny Radio. We have three open mic a week just for you. Monday's joke workshop from 6 to 8. Come and get four minutes and four minutes of commentary from your comedian peers. Come on Fridays for happy hour 6 to 8 here at Mutiny Radio. All the comics wonderful hilarious people in the scene get to know them hang out do a set have it recorded here and on a podcast at mutinyradio.fm and come in on saturdays from four to six get long sets because no one ever shows up so it's like stage time and people can listen come on by to mutiny radio get your comedy on baby Tigers, you never have to ride alone. Even though we're lawyers, riding is in our blood. Trust Law Tigers to help after a motorcycle accident. Without representation, there are no guarantees you'll get a fair shake. Call 1-800-LAWTIGERS, that's 529-8443, or visit their website at lawtigers.com for a motorcycle lawyer in any state. That's Law Tigers, Americans Motorcycle Law lawyers at www.lawtigers.com. Never ride alone. Law Tigers, we fight for motorcyclists. We're not just motorcycle lawyers, we're part of the riding community. Law Tigers watches over riders. If you're injured in a motorcycle accident, we'll help you get your motorcycle repaired or replaced and assist you with your damaged gear too. We're by your side every step of the way. With the Law Tigers, you never ride alone. If you're injured in a motorcycle accident, call 1-800-LAW-TIGERS or visit us on the web at lawtigers.com. The Law Tigers, California's motorcycle lawyer. Victor Davis, Harris Law Firm, LLP, 180 Permanent Circle, Suite 300, Sacramento, California, 95834. San Francisco Mutiny Radio San Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival 2019. Make some motherfucking noise right now. Woo! Welcome to this part of the show. Uh, my name is Mike, Mike Evans, and this is a show called 23 and Meh. Um, 
I forget what the, what the reference is, uh, Pam. 23andMe is the dating website? 23andMe is the thing where you swab your face and find out what race you are. Oh, shit. <laughs> Damn. Well, I picked a really great show to wear the I'm So White button on right now. I, uh, I doubt that I am actually white just because cops like to stop me all the time. People walk across the street when they see me. I don't know. I don't know why. I haven't showered in a couple months. That might be why. But I think it is a racial thing. Um, <laughs> so tonight on the show, we have a really dope lineup. We have uh, fucking Jaron George. We have Molly Shero and Ben Warren. It's going to be really dope. But for now, you're going to listen to my face talk for a second. Um, so I work in a middle school, which is... Kind of fun because everybody at middle school is just as problematic as we all wish we could still be. Um, middle school kids and old ass people in retirement homes all talk with absolutely no filter, and um, they're just mean, mean as shit. Um, I have little friends though. I have a friend named Sarah who uh, I thought was a really cool person until she told me this really mean prank she pulled on a child named uh thing with fake name named dan so basically in middle school having a crush on a person is like the biggest fucking thing in your life and uh basically sarah knew that dan liked her sarah told dan she was like hey dan do you like me and dan was like yeah and sarah was like hey do you want to go out with me do you want to be boyfriend and girlfriend and dan was like yeah hell yeah and Sarah was like, psych, you are an ugly bitch. I would never date you. <laughs> yeah, which is, it's funny, but it's so horrible for Dan because I had to see him cry and shit. And um, yeah, and that's the first time I punched a little kid in the face. I punched Sarah right in the face. Um, if you're wondering why I do stand-up comedies, because I got fired as a teacher at a middle school. Um, <laughs> punching a kid in the face apparently you can't do that anymore not like the old days right so all, all old people say like oh back in my day you know i used to get punched by my slave master i'm like mom you're not you're not that old you're not that old at all 23 and me i don't know <laughs> trying to think where my lineage might go back to very curious thomas jefferson is always like a maybe because you know he had sex with slaves and shit um, I feel like it'd be really cool to find out if I was Asian American. Be really happy. What's up, man? How you doing? It's cracking. Good. Here at the 23andMe show. It's a very diverse audience of white people. And uh, one black guy. Two of us. Both wearing green jackets. We knew, <laughs> we knew we had to color coordinate with the jean jackets and black vans. It's how we stand in solidarity when we're running away from angry mobs. Uh, the first time I figured out that I was black was, uh, I was jacking off and, um, I always thought jacking off was like a weird, like rolling dice motion. But for me, it was like, I was unclogging a toilet. It was this giant, this giant penis joke. <laughs> More giant penis jokes. Um, first time I got an erection, I passed out cause it was just so long. It was just protruded. Just, it was about... About this, you know, I was just knocking people over and shit. And it, was, it was just really terrible for 
It was a really bad Thanksgiving because that's the first time I had it. And all my family was like, what's going on? Why are you flipping the table over? Because <laughs> like, I'm black, Dad. You don't understand. <laughs> I'm at that age now. Uh, oh, shit, Spencer. What's up, man? How you doing? Good, good, good. I'm just telling jokes. Talking about my dad. Feel free to walk in. Well, not free. Just feel, feel to walk in. Yep. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> should come in, man. Should come in, take a seat. It's all nice. It's $10. Tackle him. Tackle him now. No, just kidding. <laughs> that is the bouncer with the nice thriller jacket on. It's pretty fucking awesome. But anyway, my dad, um, he's, uh, I haven't seen him in a while. Uh, knock, knock. <laughs> Not my father. Um, <laughs> <laughs> nah, he's a cool guy. He's he's alright. Um, first time I caught him watching porn was uh, was in seventh grade. Uh, he tried to play it off though. I was like, "Hey, Dad, you know what are you looking at at three in the morning?" There was just women in bikinis just all lined up on this website he was looking at, and he was like, "Oh, Mike, you know, it's just see the way these girls are dressed. I I, I just would never want anyone to dress like that." I'm like, that's really what you're fucking thinking right now? At two in the morning, you're just judging, reassessing your morals and shit. Yeah. Like father, like son. Like father, like son. I do watch a lot of porn. I watch a lot. Uh, it's weird to say I watch a lot of incest porn because. <laughs> because they're actors. You know what I mean? They're, they're actors. Like, you know, they're not actually related to each other. Right? I mean, that's. That's the fun end. I just, you know, put it on mute. Because I hate, you know, when porn stars are fucking and then they, they get way too under the character. Right? You know what I'm saying? They keep saying shit like, oh, we're going to be grounded for this. I'm like, no, stop. Stop saying that. It's not true. Don't want to come at that weird part. I really don't. I got to fix the Wi-Fi in my house. I keep coming when it's on, like, pause. And it's like, it's still, you know, uh, busting a nut is busting a nut, but you you always want to, like, gear it towards something. Right? How much time do I have left as a host before I just keep grilling myself? Oh. Cool. Tight. Um, Porn again. Porn, porn, porn. Oh, porn. I feel like... I spend too much time looking for the video than like when I actually like watching the video. I don't know if that's a problem anybody else has. All right, I'm sorry guys, if you're listening to me now, if you're listening to me live here on mutinyradio.fm, hopefully this is working. Hopefully if you guys can hear me. Um, if you're listening to us live on mutiny.fm, sorry to interrupt that playlist. I'm doing a sound check. This is Paul Robot with The Edge of Insanity. That you can catch here every 12 to 2 uh, Pacific Standard Time on Mutiny Radio. And right now I'm going to play you some music while I check mic levels. And we're getting ready for our guest this today, which is the world-famous Cockettes. Can't wait to listen to see them and have them on this show. So I'm going to give you guys some uh, music and I'll be right with you.
Check. Here we go. I'm still alive. Yeah? I never found a man I could use much. To bring it down. I'd left my throne, but oh, what a land. I wonder what's at hand. For you see, I'm cruising. No, this I think. Sounds good to me. Do we do we have our? We're just a. It's just visual. It, no visual, right? Right. Just for the audience. Right. Okay. That's fine. Okay. Cool. I won't. I won't. I won't worry about performing to people, but just making noises as much. <laughs> Rather than going, hey, hi, are you paying? You know, I'll just, yeah, I'll just do it to myself. Yeah, no, that's good. I love the do do little. Did he do that for you? Which one? The do little, the window pane. Oh, you know what? I I think so. That's funny. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He He's, did. He must have because that was old. That was way a long time ago, I think. He's one of my favorite um, artists.
fantasy Caught in a landslide No escape from reality Open your eyes Look up to the skies and see
having dead air. Hello, and welcome to the Edge of Insanity and Sexploration with Monica. We have a very exciting show planned. <laughs> 